Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. And good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available on podcast.com, Google Play, iTunes, indeed, wherever you get your good podcast and indeed some of your bad. And of course, we do this for the action attraction of the North Shore, Magpies Waitara and the All About Caring Sydney Bears, your premiership winning All About Caring Sydney Bears. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso. And we've been talking all cricket and all things rugby. It's time for a bit of a change of tact and indeed a change of surface for tonight. Because we are previewing the NHL for season 2019-20. Of course, I can't do this alone. And so joining us is our ice hockey guru, the Lord Mayor, the Lord Mayor himself. Keith Sapolsky, good evening to you. <laughs> you were about to say the Lord Mayor of Leichhardt, weren't you? But I'm not that anymore. No, no. Unfortunately, I was thinking about one of your favourite players, um, even when he was at um, the West Tigers, of course, we are talking about the Lord Mayor of Menangle. Yeah, the Mayor of Menangle not there anymore, but we're not talking uh, league tonight. We're talking hockey. We're talking the Eastern Conference. Of course, last week you would have heard me talk all things Western Conference with Which David Gazard. The Western Conference. Which apparently, Yeah, apparently there's another conference in the NHL outside the East. They they play over there, some something resembling hockey, and then at the end of the season, they send one team over to try and find fight the beasts of the East for the Stanley Cup, but we won't get too much into that given that St. Louis came from the West last year to win the Cup. But tonight we're talking all things Eastern Conference, the best conference, because it's the real hockey conference. Absolutely. It is the... Not only is it the conference where you get the big teams and the big centres but you also get the biggest rivalries in the competition. That, that And that's true, especially the second part, because, yeah, okay, you might talk about Florida being as much of a hockey bed as Arizona or Carolina being as much of a hockey bed as Vegas, but when you look at the rivalries in the West, you've got... Okay, you've got the LA rivalry between the Kings and the Anaheim Ducks. How does that compare with Toronto and Montreal? No, How does that compare... How does it compare with the Rangers and the Islanders? Oh, Rangers and Islanders. Well, you compare that to the Battle of Alberta. So I suppose yeah. those two cancel each other out. And then after that, there's not an awful lot there no, in terms isn't. of rivalries. But you've got Toronto-Montreal, you've got Boston-Montreal, you've got Ottawa-Montreal, you've got pretty much anybody versus Montreal, really. Hey, 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 hey. Then, then, all right. then, then you've got Ottawa and Toronto. You've got the New York Derby and then Jersey in there in the tri-state. Three teams within spitting distance of each other, and that's usually what they do to each other. They, they love each other that much. And that's why the Eastern Conference is just so great. So many rivalries and so many derbies. Now, there's an interesting couple of changes that are coming into the competition this year. So why don't we kick off with the Metropolitan Division? And I believe there are some... Pretty important um, changes occurring to the competition as a whole that will probably have a big impact impact on the Metropolitan Division. Yeah, the, the main rule changes we touched on last week, except for two of them, which we really only touched on briefly because we we're already getting behind time. And the two big rule changes that I wanted to touch on tonight are the decision to basically treat losing your helmet the same as losing your stick. That's the first rule change that is really going to be of interest because players that get physical and they get hit hard, they lose their helmet and then they can play on. 
because they go back to the bench and then they get the helmet back. Now they actually have to go and retrieve their helmet as quickly as possible, just as they have to let their stick go as quickly as possible once they find out it's broken. This is going to be an interesting one to see exactly how many players get their helmets ripped off. Now, the NHL has said if you deliberately rip off an opponent's helmet, it's two minutes for roughing. But I just wonder how they're going to enforce that rule, because if you can get into a real physical battle on the ice, not just skating around, but actually physically lying down on the ice, and a player loses a helmet, well, how do you know it's been ripped off by the opposition player? Has the player ripped it off himself to try and earn the power play for his team? Has it just come off in a scuffle? Because very rarely do players wear it strapped on tight. So that's something to really watch, particularly with those skill players, the Crosbys, McDavid's, the Tavares's, the Stamkos's, those sorts of guys. And then the other one that is really, I think, going to be a big boon for goal scoring is the decision on where you can take the face off off an icing or a penalty. So when you concede a penalty or when the or when you ice the puck, which is shooting it all the way down the other end of the ice without having it being touched, the face off comes back down your end. And that's the same when you give up a penalty. In the in situations past, the side of the ice that the face off is taken on is determined by where the the infraction occurred. Now, the team that was infringed against can choose which side of the ice that they're going to take it on. That doesn't oh. sound like a, that doesn't sound like a big thing to most people, but when you actually know how teams set up their power plays or their offensive units, this is a big change because there are guys that are very very good at taking face-offs on the right-hand side of the ice because they've got more room to move on their left and vice versa. So having a player, for example, like Matt Duchesne, who's gone to the Nashville Predators from the Columbus Blue Jackets and Ottawa Senators last season, he's not very good at taking face-offs, I believe, on the right-hand side of the ice. But put him on the left-hand side, he's an absolute beast for whatever reason. Anytime Nashville gets a face-off due to an icing or a power play in their favour, and Duchesne's on the ice, they're going to shift it to the left. Yeah, that, that, is, that creates a lot of offensive opportunity for any team that has been infringed against. Now, I can tell you where this comes from, and it's a, it's a concept that they've sort of looked at, and I know a lot of ice hockey fans won't like me doing this, but it's compared to something like football. Mm-hmm. The best strikers in football using the right foot actually shoot from the left. And the yeah. reason why is because they get a natural action that brings the ball into goal. I'm just wondering, if you've got a guy who's particularly strong playing on left offense, but he's very he's very strong with the right hand, he might be able to draw that puck around into goal from the left in from the left hand side of play. Well, I'm not so much thinking about being able to do a pirouette and fling the puck from that left-hand side into the net from there because the goalie will be aware of that. I'm more interested in the fact that he can pivot sort of on 90 degrees, block the other face-off man in that contest, and then he can simply send it back to the point, which is the uh, the offensive blue line, for those that don't know the terminology of the point. And now all of a sudden, you can set up your offense in that zone, and it's that easy. Whereas if it was being taken on the right-hand side of the ice by a right-hand shot, then they'd have to send it back to center ice and then, well, okay, maybe it shoots out of the zone. Maybe you've got to take a risk of moving someone off one of the sideboards to get into position for it. So this, I think, is certainly it may not end up with more goals, but it's certainly going to create more offensive opportunities. Well, let's get straight into it now. Uh, we're going to go straight into the Eastern Conference to start off with in the Metropolitan Division. And the first team we're going to be talking about, 
the um, the New Jersey Devils, and one of the names that has come up to you straight away is a name that anyone who follows ice hockey in the NHL is a name that you would know quite well, and he's come over from Nashville, P.K. Subban. I thought you were going to say Wayne Simmons, but okay, we'll go P.K. Subban as well. Yes. P.K. Subban is a big acquisition for New Jersey because they don't really have a stud defenseman, and that's where they had problems last season. Corey Schneider was basically a Swiss cheese in goal. He was letting pucks through that a decent goaltender really shouldn't because he didn't have any defense in front of him. P.K. Subban comes in. He shores up that situation. Eddie Lack is gone, but they got Mackenzie Blackwood coming through as a backup goaltender to Corey Schneider. So all of a sudden, their defense looks a bit better. One of the really underrated pickups that they've made in this offseason is a player who was on the prospects roster for the Vegas Golden Knights, but they just couldn't get him signed because they had salary cap problems. And that's Nikita Gusev. He's a very, very efficient player with the puck. He's got a lot of speed. He's got a lot of puck sense. He can really drive some offense, Gusev. And that's something that New Jersey are going to be looking for to work with Taylor Hall, who, of course, is coming off a Hart Trophy season, uh, the season before last, I think it was, when he won the Hart. If they can get working together, then who knows what the story is for the New Jersey Devils moving forward. That They could very easily make the playoffs from there. But something that everybody saw in the offseason, knew what was coming. New Jersey, they ended up winning the draft lottery and they took Jack Hughes first overall. This kid, he's not a Conor McDavid. He reminds me a lot of Jack Eichel in terms of the sort of ceiling that he can move to. If they can get the best out of Jack Hughes, they'll play him on third or fourth line because okay, he's only new to the NHL. He is the number one pick, so he's going to get plenty of ice time, but he's only new so they'll probably try and nurse him in for the first 10 or 15 games on the third line, then see if they can push him up into the second line. If Jack Hughes and Taylor Hall start combining, then look out because this team could do anything, especially now they have a defenseman of note in P.K. Subban. Do I think they can make the playoffs? I don't think they can because I think there's too many teams in front of them at the moment, but I think the Devils have set themselves up really, really well going into the future. Let's go to the next team, and it's a it's a big name that really did fall on half, hard times last year. The New York Rangers who finished seventh in Metro, and really the, all the talk has been going about how Henrik Lundqvist is now starting to show his age. He is starting to show his age by simply being a very good goaltender rather than being undoubtedly one of the best on the planet. And that's the problem that the Rangers are facing. How long has Lundqvist got before he turns into a bit of a rock rather than a really efficient goaltender? Jacob Trubas come in from Winnipeg. They traded for him. They let Neil Pionk go. At the moment, it's looking like a bit of a slight win for the Rangers. Everybody thought that the Rangers fleeced Winnipeg with that trade, but Pionk is really impressing in Winnipeg. But Jacob Truba, he can play number one defenseman. He's a really impressive player. He's exactly what they need to shore up the defense. But at the same time, the Rangers went out. They signed Artemi Panarin, who was the number one player in free agency, decided to leave Columbus because he wanted to play in a big market. He's gone to the New York Rangers. They don't come much bigger than the New York Rangers. Maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens, but neither of them were in the market for Panarin because they had issues of their own. If Panarin fires, then this team easily goes back into the playoffs. It wasn't that long ago that the New York Rangers were sending emails out to their fans, oh, oh just bear with us because we're about to go into a bit of a rebuild 
face. It's going to be a bit of a difficult time. And, yeah, things will go south for us for a little while. But just stick with us. It'll be okay. We'll make it out the other side. Don't worry. Now, all of a sudden, they have Panarin. They have Truba. They've got Capo Kako as well. And he was the second overall pick in this year's draft. So Jersey picked first. The Rangers picked second. They've now got the second overall choice in this year's draft. That's three incredible acquisitions in not long at all. This is a team that could easily go back to the playoffs, depending on what happens with other guys that step up. Does Mika Zibanejad step up into a genuine first-line centre? I'm not so sure on that, but they've certainly got the opportunity there. And Henrik Lundqvist, does he continue to go down? Does he not? Well, you're in a position yourself, Anthony, with a goalie who isn't what he used to be, although Carey Price is looking at injury. What's your take on Lundqvist? Because I'm finding it hard to get a read. Well, to me, I think he's probably got one to two more years left in it. But if they're going to start blooding someone to take over for him, they need to start now while he's still got a bit of, um, as well, he's still got a bit of agility about himself and that he can actually blood someone in while he's still got the ability to do so. If they leave it too long, then he's going to end up, they're going to end up with two issues. One, they're going to be debating about whether someone's going to be ready to fill in his shoes once his, his, cl- his cliff ball does occur. Secondly, he ends up an albatross on their, around their necks in terms of cap. I don't know whether he's got three or four years left on his contract. He's certainly got a little bit of time left. Is, yeah. it, is it worth, do you think, and I canvassed this last year, I can't believe the Nashville Predators didn't pull this off, but if I'm the San Jose Sharks, am I throwing every little prospect in my cupboard that's worth talking about at the Rangers plus a future first-round pick, and San Jose's already lost their next first-round pick to Ottawa, is it worth throwing a first-round pick plus their prime prospects at the Rangers to get Lundqvist so that the Rangers can then flip those for an up-and-coming goaltender? I, 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 think, they're gonna, I think they'll cripple themselves too much because it's all about timing. If they wanted to do that, they needed to do that last year. I think that I think that opportunity's mm. passed now. I, I don't... I, it depends on how Martin Jones goes in San Jose because he didn't even save at 900 last year. If you're not saving at at least 910, 915 in the NHL, then you're not really holding down a genuine starting spot. Martin Jones couldn't break 900, so he's certainly an option that I think Doug Wilson in San Jose will be looking to move on from if he doesn't fire this year. And maybe Lundqvist is the solution for a San Jose team that's in it to win it right now, although the Rangers would have to eat quite a bit of salary. Exactly. Let's go to the Philadelphia Flyers. 37-37-8 last year to finish sixth in the men- in the Metro. They've had problems with their defence over the last couple of years, but they've picked up a um, they picked they've got a one player in particular that they're trying to rest a lot of their a lot on his shoulders, and it's Carter Hart. Yeah, Carter Hart in net is really the next big thing. He is just an absolute sensation as a goaltender for the Flyers. They've really picked up someone of great value there, and I think they're going to do some great things with Carter Hart. What really concerns me, though, is that to shore up their defence, they brought in Matt Niskanen and Justin Braun. Justin Braun, OK, I understand that he's not what he what you would term a top-two defenceman. He's more of that second-pair guy, Braun, as he was in San Jose. But Matt Niskanen, I understand the, I understand the concept of offloading Radko Gudas. That was a good move to get under, to get out from under that 
deal. But for Matt Niskanen to come in, he was looking pretty shaky at the Washington Capitals. I could certainly understand why the Caps wanted to get away from Niskanen. I just wonder exactly what the logic there was from Philadelphia. If they were that desperate to get away from Gudis, why bring in someone like Niskanen, who is closer to the end of his career than the start of it? And I don't think brings that much more than than Gudis to that defensive role, especially when you're looking for somebody to really stand tall in front of Carter Hart so that he doesn't get chewed up and spat out like other goaltenders have in the NHL by moving to teams that don't really have decent defences and then being made to look like absolute morons. Case in point, Cam Talbot, who was in Philadelphia and then left in free agency, he got shown up so badly in Edmonton and it was no fault of his own. He was just playing without a defence, basically. I just wonder whether Carter Hart might be at risk of suffering the same fate here. Well, the question will be how he actually how he does actually handle the pressure because if he does actually handle it quite well, then he's going to have all sorts of um, teams knocking on the door to get him uh, to get him out of Philadelphia. Because I see I see Philadelphia as being a t- if any team's going to go um, backwards from what you would call the mid table, Philadelphia could really be it, especially considering that there are expectations being set by the new owners. That That's an interesting take on it. I, I don't know whether they're set to go completely backwards. I, I completely agree that if they don't get success and quick, then the ownership is really going to be making noises because they've lost a coach, they've lost a GM, Ron Hextel's gone, their coach last year's moved on, they've now got Elaine Vigneault, one of the better coaches in the NHL, Chuck Fletcher, the former Minnesota Wild GM, has come in as well. I just... Yeah, I'm, I'm not sold on exactly what I'm seeing in Philadelphia at the moment. Vigneault is a great signing as a coach. No, no question about that. But they made it very clear when they cleared Ron Hextall out that he was moving too slow for them. They want success and they want it now. If Elaine Vigneault and Chuck Fletcher can't deliver that, then the Flyers, they're still technically in the midst of the rebuild. Do they blow it up and start again? Or do they just keep trying to add those pieces to try and get success now because if there's one thing to screw up a rebuild, it is to try and push the go button too quickly. You're better off pushing the go button a year late than a year early and that's what Buffalo have run into which we'll touch on later in the Pacific Division. They push the button too quick and now the tyres are just spinning and they, they can't get out in neutral. If Philadelphia is not careful, they could end up the Buffalo of the Metro and the Metro is a much harder division to really get any traction in than the Pacific, although it's a lot less top-heavy than the Pacific. Let's go to one of the teams that really started like a bull out of a gate and just seemed to fall away towards the end of the season. It's, the Colum- it's um, Columbus. Um, they finished fifth in Metro, made the second round of the playoffs, but geez, there's been a bit of an exodus from the club. I think you might have actually got that. Well, yeah, you probably got it right. Columbus looked good, and then they did fall away, and then they went on an absolute tear down the back end of the season, just playing playoff hockey night after night after night to try and get into that spot right at the arse end. Now, all of a sudden, you've got Columbus, who in that playoff situation, They ran into Tampa Bay. They loaded up at the deadline, and all of a sudden their reward was to run into Tampa Bay, and they swept them. They just swept them aside like Tampa wasn't even there, and then they lost to Boston in the second round. Okay, losing to Boston is no disgrace because Boston is Boston, and they seem to be perennially up there. But then they had all those guys that they brought in, all those pending UFAs that were on the roster, 
and they're all gone. Panarin's gone. Sergei Bobrovsky's gone. Matt Duchesne's gone. To a lesser extent, Ryan Dezingle's gone. Adam McQuaid's gone. Backup goaltender in Keith Kincaid is gone. So they've lost both goaltenders. They've lost their two strike forwards in the back end of the season in Panarin and Duchesne. All that's left now is the defence. They've got their D sorted. That's not a problem. Ryan Murray, Zach Wierenski, Seth Jones, great defensive core. Fantastic. I want to know where the goals are coming from, though, because Gustav Nyquist and Marco Dano, formerly of San Jose and Winnipeg, respectively, they're not players who can replace the output of Panarin, Duchesne, Dezingle. They need to find a way to find these offensive lines. And that's before you get into the goaltending. Eunice Corpusalo, Elvis Merzlikens. Okay, Corpusalo was the backup at times last year, but is he ready to step up and play starting minutes in the NHL? We've seen what happens when you sign backups and trust them with starting minutes, and then they go down the toilet. Scott Darling, a case in point, formerly of Carolina, now of nowhere as a result. Yeah, I I don't know where those goals are coming from, and it's all great to have a defensive core, but when it comes to goaltending, the old saying goes, if you've got good goaltending, it's 50% of your team. If you've got bad goaltending, it's 100% of your team. I'm not sold on the goaltending. I I think this is where if a team is going to collapse and implode into itself and just go into a free fall. I think this season is Columbus. Let's go to a team that we're we're constantly asking, is this the end of the run? Is this the end of the run? It's the Pittsburgh Penguins. We still talk about Crosby, Malkin and Letang. Um, Obviously, I think I remember a couple of years ago, uh, well, last season, Marc-Andre Fleury moving over to the Vegas Golden Knights. How are they going to continue keeping this team together after what has it been? It's almost been like seven, eight years of domination in the competition. They've moved on Phil Kessel, which is a big, big move because it frees up some cap space and gives them a little bit of flexibility going forward. My concern is that they've also moved out Oli Marta. And Oli Marta was a big, big trade ship, and they didn't really get much for him. I'm also wondering what they were thinking with Brandon Tanev, $3.5 million a year for six years. For a guy that's produced like he has, that is an obscene overpay. I don't know how they get out from Brandon Tanev. That's going to be a contract that will haunt them. As long as they've got Sidney Crosby, they are a contender. He's, he is just that good. As soon as they move on Sidney Crosby, as soon as they decide to trade him or he decides to retire, that's it. It's all over. Burn the joint down. Pittsburgh's going to start again. They don't have any prospects. That's the problem. So they're pinning everything on Crosby, who's 32. Latang is 33. Malkin, I think, is 33 as well. I think Malkin and Latang came in in the same draft, and that was the one before Crosby. They're pinning all this on guys who are in their early 30s. It's not uncommon to see guys in their early to mid-30s go off a cliff. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Crosby. I don't think it will happen to Crosby. Evgeny Malkin, though, based on what I saw of him last season, he could be a candidate to go off a cliff. If Chris Letang starts having more injury concerns, and he had some major injury concerns last year, if they lose Latang and Malkin to long-term injury, I don't think Crosby can do it himself. That's when I think you've got to consider, if you're Jim Rutherford, the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, when do I blow it up? When do I just walk away and say, okay, we've had a great run. Now it's time to blow it up and start again. Well, I, do think, I do think it's probably not that far away from the Penguins. And I just wonder whether the prospect of trading Crosby to a contender and eating some of that salary, if you're looking at a team that is stacked with prospects, but is 
just looking to get across the line and win that Stanley Cup, Pittsburgh are going to be looking at them and saying, you're our training partner. Well, the other, we should mention as well, of course, Phil Kessel has been replaced by Alex Galchenyuk from Arizona. You know um, that I, name, Galchenyuk. Yeah, exactly. But the the issue you have with that is I don't think Galchenyuk is in the same league as Kessel, even though even with the age and the albatross that Kessel had brought. Well, Phil Kessel is known as someone who doesn't exactly do great fitness, as you would have heard last week. Uh, David Gazard referred to him basically as a McDonald's on legs, and that's probably not a bad description of him, given that he he is in shape in so much as round is a shape. Yeah, exactly. But Phil, Phil Kessel, he's a pure goal scorer. He's not... He's He's not even an Alex Ovechkin who can throw his weight around on the ice. Kessel is a goal scorer. He can't play defense. He doesn't play a physical game. He doesn't look to set up teammates. He's just an out-and-out purebred sniper. But he's good for 30 to 35 goals a season. Trading him for Galchenyuk, they're getting younger. They're looking for a bit more flexibility, a bit more playmaking, try and mix up the offense a bit. But, yeah, you're right. Galchenyuk is not in the league of Phil Kessel, at least not from what we've seen in him from Montreal and Arizona days. This this, this could be the trade that really starts to bring them unstuck because I think Pittsburgh lost out on this trade in a big way, particularly given how desperate Arizona was for someone who actually knew where the net was, let alone being able to put the puck in the net. Let's go to the New York Islanders, 48-27-7 and to finish second in the Metro and made the second round. The, the, big, the big trade for mine to bring in was Semyon Balamov from uh, from Colorado and Derek Prasad uh, who is coming who is coming to the team. Um, Barry Trotzo working absolute miracles here. John Tavares left in free agency at the end of last season and the New York Islanders were tipped to run almost last alongside the Ottawa Senators. Barry Trotz worked a miracle. I don't understand why they've let Robin Leonard go and brought in Semyon Varlamov. He wasn't bringing he, they were looking at trading for him and just trading the rights between Lena and Varlamov and it ended up they just signed him via free agency anyway because they let Robin Lena go. What they were thinking Robin Lena thinking letting Robin Lena go, I'll never know. Varlamov, I don't think he's as good as Robin Lena. This is going to be a really big asking price for Lou Lamorello, the Islanders GM, is it the right move to bring in Varlamov to replace Robin Leonard? I don't think it is. Derek Brassard is a nice little pickup. He's going to fill a depth role nicely on that third line. He's a nice little replacement for Valtteri Filpula, who's gone off to Detroit. He's going to replace some really... He's going to be a really good replacement for Filpula in terms of the output. I think he's an upgrade from Filpula. I don't think there's any doubt about that but the goaltending is the real big question mark here. This is where I think they could come undone. Varlamov, I'm not sold on him. The Islanders do have a pretty solid defensive core, and they've got Noah Dobson coming through, so they don't have anything to worry about there. Oliver Wallstrom is another prospect in the forwards who's coming through. He'll complement Matt Barzal nicely. I think they've got... I think they're set everywhere except goaltending. And again, I come back to what I just said. If you've got goaltending, it's 50% of the team. If you don't have it, it's 100% of the team. I don't think the Islanders go backward. If they do, they don't go backward by much. I still think they make the playoffs, but if Varlamov lays an egg, then missing the playoffs, it's not out of the question. Well, thank you very much for that, Keith. We're going to take a break here on... Well, hang on. Yeah. You've ditched two teams. 
No, we're going to be coming back to them straight after the break. We're, oh, we're already due for a break, are we? We that are. That's okay. it. Jeez. Yeah, this is how big this show's going to be. Is that we, oh. We're going to need... So we're going to take a break here, and uh, when we come back, we're going to finish off the Metropolitan Division, and then we'll get straight into the Atlantic Division. You are listening to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and uh, free to download on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your good podcasts. We'll be right back after this. The 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season has concluded with your All About Caring Sydney Bears winning it all. That doesn't mean it's all over for the year on the hockey front. Log on to bearsshop.com.au for all your Bears merchandise options. And stay tuned to Splinters and the Bench for updates coming out of the Australian Women's Ice Hockey League and the world's top competition, the National Hockey League. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. The Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available on podcast.com, Google Play, iTunes and wherever you get your good podcasts. And, of course, we do it all for the action attraction of the North Shore, Magpies Waitara, and your premiership-winning team in the AIHL, the All About Caring Sydney Bears. I'm joined here by the Lord Mayor himself, Keith Topolsky, and we're going to get uh, finish off the Metropolitan Division and we're going to go with the Washington Capitals. 48-26 and 8, first in Metro, out in the first round. They did go in the first round. The Carolina Hurricanes took them out, who we'll get to in just a moment. They've got cap problems, which explains why they decided to let Burakovsky and Niskanen walk. They also allowed Nathan Walker to walk in free agency, unfortunately. He's wound up in St. Louis, so the only Australian playing in the NHL is now playing for the defending Stanley Cup champions after winning a Stanley Cup himself, providing an assist during that playoff run. Not a bad record to be the first Australian. You've already won a cup and then you go into the defending champs. But Radko Gudis comes in, Richard Panic, Garnett Hathaway. Not exactly big signings, but they got cap problems. What can you do? Ovechkin, Backstrom, Holtby taking up a lot of the cap. And well, you could, you could see with Alex Ovechkin that it's going to be like Sidney Crosby. As soon as he goes, the question then really starts to come. Do you blow the team up and start again? Well, that was the question before they won the Cup. The year they did win the Cup, that was the question. And I can still remember Sean McIndoo, my favourite hockey blogger, actually hopped on Twitter because Washington played Columbus in the first round. They were down two games to nothing. Game three went to overtime in the first round. And he said, if Columbus scores the next goal, the Capitals get swept, the roster gets blown up. If Washington scores the next goal, they win the Stanley Cup. Washington scored the overtime winner, went on to win the Stanley Cup. The guy's a genius. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about when does Washington's window close? I think they've probably got one or two years left in them before the team starts to age out. And the Seattle expansion draft in a couple of years, that'll be an interesting one to see exactly what happens with the Caps goaltending. I think they're going to make a move either on Holtby now or then. If, if he has a couple of good years, they let him hang around. Then they let Seattle pick him up in the draft, and then they go to Phoenix Copley. If he starts to tank, they might have to move on to Copley now. Then all of a sudden, Holtby doesn't look that appealing for Seattle, and Washington's got to get out from underneath him. I think they, they're still a genuine contender, though. They're going to really be up there. And we finish off with the conference finalists. To finish fourth in the Metro, it's the Carolina Hurricanes. Those jerks with the storm surge. If you, if you don't know, Google oh, Dodge. Oh, oh, oh. Google 
Well, Don Cherry, Storm Surge. It is some of the best TV you'll ever see. The way he just whinges about the Carolina Hurricanes, it is sensational. But you are going to have to wear sunglasses because of the jackets that Don Cherry wears. They are loud, those things, and bright. Carolina, they, they won the Metro Division, went to the Eastern Conference Final, and they've got massive turnover on their roster. Anton Forsberg, Gustav Forsling are depth pieces, but Eric Haller, James Reimer will play backup goaltender. Jake Gardner, Ryan Dezingle all come in. On the way out, Calvin DeHaan, Nicholas Waugh, Justin Williams, Curtis McElhenney, Justin Falk, Michael Ferland. There's a lot of turnover in a conference finalist, and I don't know exactly what the logic is behind that. I'm intrigued to see what they do this season, the Carolina Hurricanes, but winning the conference again after that much turnover... You've got to put your faith in Tom Dundon, first year as GM, and Rod Brindamore, first year as coach. They make a conference final, but that's a lot of turnover after winning a conference final. I don't know what they're thinking. I, I think it's a big risk to have that much turnover because they can. They, you often say that it does take about six months for a team to gel together, especially with that much um, that much change. But hey, I, I understand said, two or three changes just to keep things fresh and interesting and new. Yeah. But to basically overhaul almost two full lines, that that is that that boggles the mind. Absolutely. Let's go. We have a quick mention of the new enterprise bargaining deal before we move on to the Atlantic Division. The CBA, the, the players and the league both decided to put it back to 2022. They had the option to renegotiate it uh, starting in 2020 with a view to a new deal for the 2020-2021 season. That's a lot of 20s in there, and you can take some of them off to your Cricket Caruso, but the the, the thing is that league and the players, they have a little bit of peace at the moment. They're negotiating. So if you do have labour difficulties, they're not going to come around for another couple of years, which is good news to make sure that we've got hockey going for at least the next two years. I do think that they'll reach an agreement without losing too much hockey, if any, but that remains to be seen. But for now, you've got, the ne- you got next season in full without question. So the, the risk at this stage of a repeat of the strike back in the 90s is pretty low at this stage. It is low. I don't. You're not going to lose another season to a lockout. Both sides agreed that that was a disaster, and it really did put the game firmly back in fourth place in terms of the rankings of the, of the major sports in the U.S. So you might lose some time, but you're not going to lose an entire season. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. Let's go to the Atlantic Division. We're going to start off with your beloved Ottawa Senators, last in the Eastern Conference, last in the NHL. Can they come back? Not this season, but I like what Pierre Dorian's doing because he signed Colin White. I thought Colin White was an overpay. Most people think it's a good deal. I think it's an overpay for what Colin White has demonstrated so far. What I loved was Thomas Chabot, eight years at $8 million. That is an absolute steal. This guy has the potential to be a Norris defenseman, and Norris is the award for best defenseman in the league. I think he's a potential Norris winner. I think he's definitely going to be a Norris finalist sometime in that eight years. He signed on for a contract that looks a little bit steep now, but where I think he's headed, I think it's going to be a great bargain in the back end of that contract. That is a great sign for Pierre Dorian and the Senators, even if Eugene Melnick still runs around like he's some sort of delusional twit. On on the signings, they basically brought in three Toronto ma- uh, four Toronto Maple Leafs, rather. Nikita Zaitsev, Connor Brown via trade, Tyler Ennis and Ron Hainsey by free agency. But at the same time, that's because DJ Smith is a new coach, former assistant coach in Toronto. Out goes Zach Smith, which I'm very sad about. Out goes Oscar Lindbergh, who I'm a bit disappointed about because he started to look a 
bit good last season. Ben Harper goes to Toronto, which I'm a little bit disappointed about. Cody Cece's gone to Toronto, and I'm just about ready to throw a party. Thank God Cece is gone. He was he was just a black hole on the ice. I can't believe Toronto were prepared to take him in a trade. I can't believe Kyle Dubas would be so stupid. And I'm looking forward to seeing Toronto just implode whenever Cody Cece is on the ice, unless he's protected by someone like a Morgan Riley. But lovely to see that we get the best of a trade with Toronto. Nikita Zaitsev, he's going to bring some good experience to the team. He's not going to win games. It's going to be another long season, but I can see a lot of positives in the future. Eric Brandstrom, a potential stud defenseman. Alex Formanton, one of the quickest players in the game. Drake Batherson, plenty of skill, needs to get consistent. Brady Kachuk is only going to get better. I can see a lot of good years ahead for my Senators. This year, though, won't be one of them. Let's go to a team that is going to be picking up one of its more unwanted monikers, the Detroit Red Wings. They've uh, they had a terrible year last year. Are we going to see a return of that moniker, the Dead Things? Uh, they're going to stink this season. That's the only way to put it. So they're back. You're... They're back. No, no, they're... they're... <laughs> well, that, you got to remember, Detroit made the playoffs for something like 25 years in a row and they, they were really hanging on at the end just to try and keep that streak going and now they're paying for it Ken Holland's gone Stevie Eisenman comes in as the general manager from the Tampa Bay Lightning who really did set up the Lightning something fierce down there previously but Philip Zadina I thought was a bit disappointing last season I don't think he's going to see any NHL time this season and he was a big name acquisition in the draft he did fall to six but at the end of the day it's looking like he was probably a genuine six rather than falling to six. So he's got a bit of development to go. They've lost Thomas Vanek to free agency. Nicholas Cronwall's called it a day. And when you look at what they've picked up, Patrick Nemeth, Valtteri Filpula, Calvin Pickard, they're really just signing bodies to try and fill out the roster. I don't think the rebuild's begun yet. They've got some decent prospects coming through, but oh, it's going to get ugly for Detroit. I, I, is, this, I, is, this, I, is this a Buffalo blow-up? No, it's not going to be a Buffalo blow-up. But I, I think they're going to perform pretty ugly this season. I think they're the favourites to run last, which I, I hope that Ottawa runs last for the best odds in the draft lottery. But I, I think Detroit, if you're going to pick a team to run last, I think it's the I think it's the Wings this season. Their, their roster is just ugly. Let's go to the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, one genuine top prospect, and the, because the rest of them have all graduated, they still suck, and I don't think it's going to get... And it doesn't look like it's going to get much better for them. Ralph Kruger is the last chance for this team to really advance out of their previous rebuild. Tim Murray went in as GM. He signed Ted Nolan as the coach. Ted Nolan knew he was on a hiding nothing. They traded away anybody that had a pulse in the pursuit of trying to win that 2014 first overall pick and take Aaron Ekblad. They ended up second and took Sam Reinhart. They ended up trying to tank the following season, pick up Connor McDavid. They ended up with Jack Eichel. They couldn't win a draft until they got the Rasmus um, Darlene draft and they finally acquired him via the draft which has worked well for them, but Linus Ulmark was their superstar goalie of the future, and he seems to have stalled. Ralph Kruger is basically the last chance for this team. If he can't drag them out of the doldrums, then 
I think you've got to go back and you've got to start again. You've got to rebuild it again in Buffalo, which is really difficult because they're nine years going without a playoff berth. That is ugly for the number one TV market in the league, but they've got some good players coming in here. Henri Yokohaju from Chicago, I think, is vastly underrated. Jimmy Vesey from the Rangers. Colin Miller from the Vegas Golden Knights on D. They've got the players there. Marcus Johansson coming in from Boston. If they're going to advance, this is the year, because if they can't do it with this roster and a fresh coach, then they've just got to blow it up and they've just got to start over again and it's going to get ugly. But if they can't show improvement this year, that's it. We then head down south. We go to the to Florida, 36, 32, and 14 to finish fifth in the Atlantic Division. Um, the one the one that stood out for me was a name that popped up earlier in this preview, and it's the acquisition of Sergei Bobrovsky. Sergei Bobrovsky was the number one goaltender heading into free agency, no question about it. He was able to command $10 million a year on the free market. Florida was prepared to pay. But the most important acquisition for Florida came off the ice. Joel Quenville coming in, Bob Bugner's on the way out as a coach. He was a good coach and Florida made it clear that they thought Joel Quenville was the best coach for the team and Bob Bugner was the second best coach. So it wasn't as though they were sacking the coach and just taking whatever they could get. They wanted Quenville and if they couldn't get him, they were going to stick solid. Fortunately, they got Quenville, so the old coach makes way. Robert Luongo has retired. Sergei Bobrovsky comes in there. James Rhyme has been moved on, so they're going to bring up a new backup goaltender. Aaron Ekblad really needs to stand up. I think he's going to get some good support from Anton Strawman this season on defense. And now they've got goaltending behind them. Luongo was a great goaltender in his day, but he really struggled at the back end of his career. Sergei Bobrovsky is arguably the best goaltender in the league at the moment. If the Panthers don't make the playoffs here, then you've got to wonder exactly what those players are doing down there because they've got Huberto, they've got Barkov, they've got Ekblad, they've still got Hoffman, who is a pure goal scorer. Now they've got Bobrovsky, they've got Strawman chiming in. Noel Acciari is a great acquisition from the Boston Bruins, very underrated player, and all they did to make way was offload Riley Sheehan, Jamie McGinn, and James Reimer. Reimer, the, by far the best of those guys, and he's just a career backup now. So if Florida can't force their way into the playoffs, I don't know what they're doing. And Joel Quenville and the GM down there in Dale Talent will have a lot of questions for that roster if they're not making the playoffs this season. Well, let's go north of the border, and we're going to hit Montreal, 44-30-8. and eight. They were desperately unlucky to miss out on the playoffs, going down in the last uh, match day to miss out on the playoffs. Mark Bergevin, you know, he has been absolutely hounded out for some of his trades over the last couple of years, and all of a sudden, that late run that Montreal had that near saw them make the, the, the playoffs, sees them with some commentators thinking that they might actually be competitive this year. I, I couldn't understand why he traded Shea Webb, why he brought Shea Weber in for PK Subban. I couldn't understand the logic bringing in Jonathan Drouin in exchange for Mikhail Sergachev. Then he decided to bring in Max Domi in exchange for Alex Galchenyuk. That was a masterstroke, and I think that's the final piece to really start turning Montreal from just being there to a team that, okay, they're not going to win it this season, but they're a team on the up, which is strange when you're trading a 27-year-old defenseman for a 30-plus defenseman, and you're bringing in Jonathan Drouin, who was a real disappointment in Tampa, and shipping out a blue-chip defensive prospect. I think Mark Bergevin, he's been thinking ahead, and give him credit for that, he's really been thinking forward with this team. He's really been thinking things through, exactly what can you do. Andrew Shaw's gone. 
which shows that they're looking at a bit more skill because Mark Bergevin, something he's been panned for in the past, is really putting toughness and grit and sandpaper over skill. Andrew Shaw's gone. Okay, Nick Cousins coming in. It's not much of an upgrade. Keith Kincaid backing up Carey Price is going to be a big improvement because Antti Niemi was an absolute anchor on that team. When and, Mont- up- and Montoya as well. Well, Montoya as well. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Montoya and Niemi between them. When Carey Price went down hurt, those were the guys they turned to. And those those guys couldn't save a beach ball, let alone a puck. So now that you've got a backup with a pulse in Keith Kincaid, I like where Montreal's going. You can probably give a bit more insight to Montreal than me because as soon as I see Montreal, I just think bloody Frenchies and all that sort of thing. I'm not going to use the other word I use because I will have to bleep it out even though it's in French. The real acquisition I love that Mark Bergevin has been able to pull off here, and I think this one's masterstroke to give them that defensive depth, is Ben Sherrott from Winnipeg. I think he's going to give them great defensive depth. I think he's vastly underrated. Well, this is the this is the thing is that they throughout their time they've been picking up def- they've had defenders who can actually transition to attack. And the classic example, of course, for that was PK Subban. The mm. first sign you had that they were moving away from that was bringing in Shea Weber. Sherrod will be the completion of that. A defenseman who actually plays as a specialist defenseman. Now they're going to sacrifice. Um, a bit of transitional play for a bit of toughness in defense. But what this means is that he's going to give more freedom to his to his forward line. And I think Nick Cousins is probably going to benefit the most out of it because he's going to be given full, free reign to basically run around the ice all night. One thing I think Montreal has really lacked, even though Shea Weber came in, um, ever since Andre Markov left, is an out-and-out stay-at-home defenseman because Shea yeah. Weber, yeah, okay, he plays a very good defensive game, but you still need him up there with the offense because he has got that brutal slap shot and he slaps them like nobody's business. He hits those things monstrously. I think he got clocked at hitting one at over 100 miles an hour. And for a hockey for a hockey puck, if you ever get a chance to hold a hockey puck, hold one and think about that thing hitting you at 160 k's. That thing's gonna hurt. Yeah, absolutely. And those things are very small and they're very difficult to pick up, especially through a crowd. And that's where Shea Weber is a real specialist, firing those slap shots in from the blue line, from the point, and getting getting a crowd in front of the net, getting traffic in front of the goalie to make sure that he can't pick up on it straight away. Because even though a puck fired at 100 mile an hour, 160k an hour, if you can see that thing from the get-go, you're still going to have some pretty good opportunities to really f- pick up on that puck flying at you and make the save. But if you, if you, even for a split second, even for a tenth of a second, if you're a tenth of a second late, that thing is traveling and it's almost halfway there. It takes a couple of tenths of a second for that puck off Shea Weber's stick to get in from the point to the net. And all of a sudden, yeah, you're in trouble as a goalie. So they lack that pure stay-at-home caliber. I don't think Shearot is that pure stay-at-home guy, but he plays defense and can be a stay-at-home defenseman much better than what P.K. Subban could. There's no question about that. Let's go across the other side of the border. No, let's not. I guess not. from a Canadian Because legs suck. Oh, legs suck. This is about the only thing you and I can agree on in terms of this, in terms of our feelings of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. But it has to be said, last year they did prick. They snuck into the uh, the playoffs, third in the Atlantic um, division. But my God, after the season that they've had, they've made more changes than the Western Sydney Wanderers have in the preseason. They've run into cap hell because they had William Nylander hold out last season. He ended up signing 
for six years at six and a bit. And then all of a sudden, they just... Nylander went into a hole and he couldn't perform last year and they weren't prepared to do the same thing with Mitch Marner this season so they've overpaid for Mitch Marner they've signed him up at a ten, just over $10 million cap hit and that meant they had to move out Patrick Marlowe so they moved out Marlowe that was fine, not a problem Get rid of Patrick Marlowe. Fine. Happy days. They had to move a first-round pick to do it. But then they had other cap problems as well. And they needed to make some improvements on the blue line. So they managed to pull a really neat trade with Ottawa to send Nikita Zaitsev and Connor Brown to Ottawa in exchange for Cody Ceci and Ben Harper. Ben Harper came on the cheap. He's only on about a million a year, if that. But Cody Ceci was a restricted free agent. And they signed him for one year at $4.5 million. Now, I can guarantee you... Cody Cece is not worth $4.5 million. I think you're struggling to really value him at $4,500. He is just absolutely god-awful. He is just a black hole on the ice. Cody Cece is where your team goes to die, basically. If you're opposing Cody Cece, he is your golden ticket to scoring goals. Why they would acquire him, I don't know. On the flip side of that, though, they went to Colorado. They decided to send Calais Rosen. Okay, no great loss. He, he's a useful depth piece, but he's not a great loss. Nazem Kadri was a big move to make in Toronto, getting rid of him. He was on really good money. He's a genuine second-line centre playing third line. When you can get a genuine second-line centre playing third line, you're set. But the Leafs' defence was just absolutely abominable. So they moved on Kadri, and in exchange, they got Alexander Kerfoot, who, yeah, he's not, he's not exactly great in offence, but they got Tyson Barry back from the Avalanche. That is a sensational acquisition on defence. They've really done some good things there, Toronto, as much as I hate to admit it. But the real challenge they face is the fact that when you're talking hockey, you can talk about how there's three certainties in life. Death, taxes... And Toronto gets beat by Boston in the first round of the playoffs. Every time Toronto runs into Boston in the first round, Boston wins. Simple as that. It does stem back to a few years ago. I think it was six years ago now in the lockout shortened season. Toronto made the playoffs. How good's this? Toronto goes into game seven. Oh, nothing that happens tonight can be a disaster because we're finally back in the playoffs. They're 4-1 up with 10 minutes to go and they choke on it. And didn't they choke on it? Because Boston scored two goals in the last minute with the extra skater. It was just absolutely... If you're a Leafs fan, it was painful to watch. If you're not a Leafs fan, it's 15 to 20 minutes of the most glorious hockey misery you will ever encounter in your life. The schadenfreude is unbelievable. But I love the depth signings. Jason Spezza... Pontus Arberg, very good depth signings on the offense. They're going to play very cheap up front on the third and fourth lines, but you've got Tavares, you've got Matthews, you've got Nylander, you've got Marner. These guys, this team, if they don't start doing something soon, particularly with Morgan Riley, Jake Muzzin, Tyson Barry down the other end, how long does Mike Babcock survive and how long until Kyle Dubas decides to pull his very first coach sacking? Let's go to the President's Trophy winners from last year. First in the Eastern Conference, first the Atlantic. Out in the first round, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, speaking of choke on it, this was one of the great choke jobs of all time. The problem that Tampa had last season is they were so good that they really had... I don't like this idea if they've never had to face adversity because there's a term in hockey... You haven't had to face adversity. You're really struggling because you haven't really faced off against any adversity. Tampa, they, they didn't they didn't have the problem of facing adversity, but they weren't in a playoff mindset. 
upset when they got to the playoffs. Columbus had played playoff hockey for pretty much a month straight, having to win almost every game just to sneak into the playoffs. Tampa, they wrapped up the President's Trophy just after the trade deadline. Forget about a playoff spot. They had the President's Trophy wrapped up. They were first place in the league just after the trade deadline. That's a month and a half of meaningless hockey. How do you motivate yourself? And for six weeks, I think you sometimes forget how intense you have to be to really keep up at the business end of the season. Some teams really focus... Some teams fell away, and Tampa, it's not that they didn't face adversity, because every player has a story to tell about adversity. If you make the NHL, you've gone through adversity. But that team had not been playing in a playoff mindset. When you get to the playoffs, to watch the NRL, to watch soccer, to watch Union or AFL, it starts again. you don't get a... Yeah, it's it really is a brand new season. You don't understand how much the intensity ratchets up in the NHL when you get to the playoffs. You can't get that sort of flip of the switch in the NRL, in soccer, in union, in AFL, in cricket, in anything. The way the intensity just goes up so much overnight, and I think Tampa forgot about that. And then they got knocked around mentally because, oh, hang on, we lost. That doesn't happen to us. Oh, we'll get them next time. Oh, crap, we lost again. That doesn't happen to us. And then the doubt crept in. And then Columbus just bang, bang, bang. Bang. And all of a sudden, Tampa's gone. I don't know about you, and feel free to correct me on this if you think I'm wrong, but Tampa wasn't in that mindset going into the playoffs. And by the time they were ready to get into that mindset, Columbus had already swept them. Well, I think they're going to come out um, better for it next year because they're going to learn their lessons. They've learned their lessons the hard way, but you get the feeling if Tampa makes the, the playoffs this year, which you'd imagine they will, they're going to go They're going to go, and they're going to go deep. If Tampa, make, if Tampa make the playoff this year, there's no guarantee that they're going to win the Cup, although we'll get to our picks across both the East and the West um, in a few minutes. But I can guarantee you, if Tampa make the playoffs, I don't want to face them in the first round after what happened to them last year. They're going to brutalise someone in the first round this season. Let's go to the last team to preview, the Cup finalists. They won the Cup final. No, they lost the Cup final. They lost the Cup final. Apologies for that. Beautifully. um, My team, uh, I hate them with a passion. More than Ottawa is the Boston Bruins. Boston Bruins, the the team itself you don't necessarily hate. What you hate is Brad Marchand. Let's be honest about this. Brad Marchand, how how would you put this? Who's the... Who's the biggest pest on the soccer field? Oh, Sergio Ramos. Okay, who's the second biggest pest? Gee, that's got that's got me thinking actually. But I, I think if I could use rugby league as an example as well, I would probably say you also be looking at someone like a Michael Ennis. Okay, so you take Michael Ennis yes. and Sergio Ramos, you mix them together, you put in probably Billy Slater, a yes. bit of Sam Friday, drop in Nate Miles. Throwing Toby Green from the AFL for good measure. And you're only halfway to describing the visceral hatred of Brad Marchand because he is an absolute thug. He's a dirty player. He is just an absolute turd on the ice. As you would have heard Jesse Landry describing last season, if he's on your side, you love him. If he's not on your side, you hate him. He's just a filthy player and he puts on the and he puts on all the cheap shots, and he's not prepared to fight as a result of it. He is just, oh, you, you can't begin to describe it. And that's why everybody hates the Boston Bruins. Well, Montreal's got a bit of a history there, but Boston, they just keep finding these players. They were supposed uh, to disappear look, look, look. off the face of the earth, earth a couple of years ago, but then they found Pasternak, they found McAvoy, they found Krug. David Krejci is just 
absolutely incredible. And these guys, in their current form, they're not fully evolved yet. That's scary. But the, the farm you've got down, the farm system is currently empty. This is oh, all it is. they've got. It's, it's empty because they're throwing everything into win now. And I just wonder, you got Toronto, you got Tampa, you got Washington, you got Pittsburgh. Then in the central, you got St. Louis. Nashville, Winnipeg, Colorado's coming into their own. Then in the Pacific, you've got San Jose, you've got Vegas. It is a crowded market right now in terms of teams that can genuinely say, we have a real genuine shot at winning the cup. Boston, I just wonder whether they're better off moving on a couple of the veterans, taking a step back for a couple of years and waiting for the real cap crunch to hit teams like Vegas, San Jose, the likes of Calgary, then Toronto, and then see whether Tampa can keep it up as well, because after that, then you might see the teams fall by the wayside and Boston Boston can stand tall over the top of them. But certainly with this roster, the Charas, the Krejci's, the Krugs, Bergeron is still there, took a Rask, Pasternak, McAvoy, as much as he's a mug, Marchand is a great hockey player. This is a roster that can that could take it all, whether they do or not. Time will tell. Like they could take it all, or you could see maybe, just maybe, if they start suffering a couple of injuries, they could crash and burn like nothing before. Well, the, uh, the Atlantic division is not the strongest division by a long way because you've got Ottawa and Detroit who just plain out stink. And I will admit that as a Senators fan. But it is the most top-heavy division. You have got, I think, of the top four teams in the league last season, three of them came from the Atlantic. I think Tampa finished first, I think Boston second overall, and then Toronto finished fourth or something like that. If it wasn't the top four, it was the top five. Three of the top five at worst came from the Atlantic. So it is the toughest division to break into. It's certainly not the toughest division to sit in the wildcard race in because if you're not one of those big three, you're in the wildcard race in the Atlantic if you want to make the playoffs. But breaking that top three, that's a big ask. Well, let's go to our let's go to your tips here. Who do you think wins? Um, who do you think make conference? Uh, the Western Conference. I think you'll find that Vegas. This season will probably play. Uh, I think the playoff fatigue will get St. Louis. So I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Vegas and Colorado for the Western Conference final. Yeah. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, I think Tampa makes it. Although I said that last season. And coming out of the Metro, I think that I think the Islanders will probably play Tampa in the Eastern Conference final. I think the Islanders have got it in them to to win that Metro division. Who wins the President's Trophy and chokes? Uh, I don't think anybody wins the President's Trophy and chokes because I think Tampa wins the President's Trophy, and they learn from last season. And whoever they run into in that first round this season. God help them because Tampa is Tampa will brutalize them and I think you might find it turning up in crime reports Tampa Bay wanted for grievous bodily harm and attempted murder. Such will be the job that Tampa will do in the first round of the playoffs. So I think Tampa versus the Islanders and Vegas versus Colorado in the West. Well, before we go into overtime, we're going to call it there with the siren going off in the background. And this has been the NHL preview. The Lord Mayor, Keith Topolsky, thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to the season coming up. Certainly do, and by the time November rolls around, at least one of those teams that I mentioned as my final four standing will probably be in draft lottery contention. So, yeah, good luck with your tips, and don't tip who I did. Well, that is uh, full-time here on Splinters for another week. Uh, This has been Anthony the Ball Caruso for Splinters, of course, doing it all for the action attraction of the North Shore Magpies Waitara and your premiership winning all about caring 
Sydney Bears. Until next time, uh, good night.